Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that Consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. This month, I'm exploring the films of John Sayles, as recommended by James McCormick, and in this week's episode, I'll be wrapping up the month of May and the theme of John Sayles by discussing his 1996 Oscar-nominated film, Lone Star. Fun little bit of trivia, in 1996, it was the only screenplay that was nominated for Best Original Screenplay that also, in turn, didn't find its film nominated for Best Picture. Um, The Best Picture winner of that year was, of course, The English Patient, a film that I've never seen and will probably never be able to bring myself to see. Um, And the winner for Best Original Screenplay was, can you guess? I'll give you a minute. Hint, it stars the woman who, uh, a woman who is also a featured, or I should say, supporting character in this film. Do, 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 do. That would be the Coen Brothers Fargo, um, in which, uh, of course, starred Frances McDormand, who is also a very minor supporting character in this film, Lone Star. Um, my two biggest thoughts from Lone Star are also kind of my two biggest thoughts or takeaways, or I guess the, I should say the two most prevalent thoughts that I had coming out of Lone Star um, seem to uh, typify what I've come to identify uh, about John Sales as a filmmaker and kind of what I would look for in a John Sales film should I seek out more of his stuff um, in the future. And those two things are uh, an earnestness and also a, an egalitarian attitude towards people of this country. I want to touch on the first one uh, uh, being earnest, um, both as his career, basically, or, or of these three films that I've seen, but then also Lone Star in particular. I want to touch on that idea first because it's also the one that I find to be the most, not problematic, but troubling Um, some of the things that I really like about his films, or at least uh, some elements that I've really liked about his films have stemmed from him being an earnest filmmaker, but some of the problems I have with his films have also come from him being an earnest filmmaker. And when I say earnest, um, I don't mean naive, I don't mean simple, but I mean kind of a, a, an honesty and an objectivity when it comes to the themes he's exploring and also the characters that he explores in his films, um, and also kind of a a lack of cynicism. Um, His films that I've covered this month, The Brother from Another Planet, Eight Men Out, and now Lone Star, they have dealt with some, maybe not dark material, um, but they've certainly dealt with some negative um, things, negative characters, um, consequences from, uh, you know, higher, from, uh, from, from systems or, um, people that are higher up on a, a financial or social hierarchy, at least according to this country. Um, he deals with things that have consequences, inescapable and uncontrollable consequences a lot of times, both in his characters' lives, but also in the lives of 
real American citizenry day in and day out, but he's not really a cynical or hopeless filmmaker in the sense of the films that I've watched from him are honest about consequences, are honest about the complications of people and the um, negative connotations and consequences that can come about from these inescapable systems, from people being victims of things that are larger than them. But he's also not hopeless. You know, this is not a Rod Serling type in the sense of he has a very dark and almost um, irredeemable view of humanity. Um, in The Brother from Another Planet, he was very honest about the um, racism inherent within New York City's history and uh, the idea of corporations having a uh, negative consequence on a neighborhood that is losing its personality and its history because of gentrification and because of a um, demographic which is becoming less apparent. Um, in Eight Men Out, you know, we certainly had a, a you know a, a lot of wealthy, it would seem, baseball players, but also baseball players who are being um, controlled and subjugated by a much wealthier owner who uh, they are at his whim, basically, and uh, they they react, they do what they can, at least based on the film Eight Men Out and, and Sales' interpretation of that story. They are reacting against what they seem to be a, an unfair system, and they are the ones that are ultimately victimized, even though there are much more nefarious players um, involved in in the schemes that they find themselves in. And then in, in um, Lone Star, there is also this idea, this exploration of a, um, a small town that has a rich, multi-ethnic um, history and, 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 uh, and diversity in stories, um, but also being controlled and, and subjugated for a long time by a tyrannical authority figure um, and exploring the complications that arose from that both within the town and within um, family structures that found themselves affected in so many trickle-down sort of ways by this one character. There are real-life negative things that he explores. There are real-life complications that he explores, but he's not hopeless about these things. He, he has a, a care and a concern for his characters, for his towns, for his environments. This third film, Lone Star, is set in the South, in a small Texas town that is um, basically right across the border from uh, Mexico. Um, Eight Men Out took place in Chicago, in, you know, in the, the North Midwest, and then The Brother from Another Planet took place in Harlem, on, you know, in the Northeast. They are all taking place in um, vastly different geographical and um, socioeconomic environments, and there is an earnestness and an honesty to the characters that he portrays. It's not as though there are, are no villains, it's not that he avoids one-dimensional characters, um, Kami and Eight Men Out was very much a, a one-dimensional villain, as were some of the, the players involved. Uh, Swede comes to mind. Um, you know, there were villains, the, the two alien uh, bounty hunters basically looking for our protagonist in The Brother from Another Planet. And in this film, we have um, Charlie, the, the, uh, the sheriff 
the evil sheriff played by um, Chris Christopherson, who is a one-dimensional character. So it's not as though he avoids archetypes or that he avoids um, exploring um, negative portrayals of things, but he's not hopeless and he's not cynical. And it's something that I really appreciate. But when it comes to how that can adversely affect his films and some of his products, I'm thinking um, once again of that Charlie character, of this one-dimensional character, where um, and also um, of of sort of his some of his direction of some of these scenes. So the one of the conflicts that is supposed to be driving us through Lone Star. I mean, you have the intimate conflict um, that comes about from um, uh, the 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 kind of the the personal and emotional exploration of many of of its characters, its ensemble cast, but specifically of um, of Sam, the Chris Cooper character. Um, the primary conflict which is driving us through the film when it comes to him and his story is potentially uncovering um, the the fact that his saint-like father, Buddy, who is, uh, you know, in flashbacks played by a young Matthew McConaughey, was not actually saint-like. In fact, could have been a cold-blooded killer in the sense of, hey, they've discovered the skeleton of um, Charlie, of this, this once-hated sheriff character, and all signs seem to point to the fact that he was murdered in cold blood by uh, Buddy decades ago. And while I understand that that is supposed to be the driving or the, or the primary conflict with Cliff, um, I'm sorry, not with Cliff, with uh, Sam, um, it's, it's hard. It, it doesn't feel... I don't feel engaged in that. I don't feel like there's an urgency with that. The film tells us many times, um, practically or, or primarily through the voice of the, I believe it's the mayor of the town who was unveiling the statue of Buddy. Um, and, you know, of course, uh, you know, Buddy's cloud, not cloud, but Buddy's legacy hangs over the town. Everybody has a story of Buddy, of how he, you know, was kind of tough but fair and sort of took care or looked over um, certain demographics that the former tyrannical sheriff and just kind of white authority figures in general discarded or took uh, even took advantage of explicitly. Um, so we're told many times, like, yeah, there was no one like Buddy. They even say, I think, something to the effect of, like, you know, uh, God broke the mold after Buddy was born. Um, though I think in the film they say, like, the mold was broken after Buddy died, which is not how the mold breaks anecdotally, but that's, you know, besides the point. The important thing is that uh, Buddy is this character who we're told has uh, this legacy of almost being saint-like, and yet one of the things that is supposed to be developing tension within us and is supposed to be driving the narrative forward is this idea that he is not saint-like, and yet um, I didn't I didn't really feel the the importance of that or, or or I knew it was there but I don't think the film conveyed the importance of that enough so and, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the flashbacks show us that Chris Christopherson's um, tyrannical um, sheriff was such a pure black and white shithead that it's that um that I, I'm wondering why <laughs> Why would it be a problem if uh, Buddy murdered this guy in cold blood? I mean, he was a, a, a terrible person who himself murdered innocent people in cold blood. So why should the potential discovery of the fact that Buddy returned the favor 
why is that an existential threat to our Sam character? And, and I suppose that on the surface, the film would tell us, it's like, well, because Buddy was like nobody else, and we can't tarnish the money, the, the memory of Buddy, except the fact that because we know as a viewer that this guy was such a shithead, it's like, well, I, I don't feel the threat. I don't feel like the, the revelation of that would necessarily be a threat to the legacy of Buddy's character. And also then how would that trickle down to anything that then rests on the shoulders of Sam? And of course, another thing that the film sets up is this idea of, of in Sam's experience, Buddy was not the same because Buddy was very harsh or cruel to him, specifically when it came to the, the relationship he had with Pilar, Elizabeth Pena's character, that seemed to be so unfair, basically. It's sort of like, you know, we have these young teenagers who are in love. Why was this guy such a dick towards his young teenage son? Which that is a, a, a reveal we will talk about in a little bit. But um, all, all the groundwork is kind of like on paper. There's the X's and O's that are there to kind of um, make us feel like or make us think that there is going to be a deep exploration of these themes that are going to resonate with, with us emotionally, but there's just something in the execution where it doesn't quite feel like the film wants us to feel. And I do wonder, and I have wondered, and I started wondering this with Eight Men Out, and it kind of comes uh, comes up again here, is if this was a script that would have been best served by a different director. And this is a thought I struggle with myself because I know even, you know, I, I've been doing this podcast for years. I've watched, I don't know how many movies on this podcast, but then just also in my in my spare time. So there's more to a director than just a flair or a specific visual trick. You know, you can identify a Wes Anderson film or you can identify a, um, a, a, a Quentin Tarantino movie or a Spike Lee film through a lot of specific directorial tricks that they use, but that's not all that a director has in their repertoire, basically. So I I know that there is more to a director than just how he or she uses the camera, certain shots, or how they work with music or actors or that sort of thing. But once again, getting back to how Ernest uh, Sales is as a director, there's something that's lacking when it comes to a a perpetual tension which is driving me through this narrative. I was watching this with my wife and she described it as a very patient movie. And that's true. It's also kind of a diplomatic way. Um, I was feeling this too of sort of saying like it's it's deliberate and it's kind of slowly paced. You could see it as something that the film does to its credit or maybe something that the film does to as a, as a hindrance to it that it it takes its time with its characters. There are scenes which don't necessarily propel the narrative forward, but just are of the characters being their characters, basically. Um, to the extent where I think there are some scenes and some subplots that could have been removed from this film without really losing a whole lot. And I'll, I'll talk about that when I talk about his egalitarian approach to characters in a, little, in a little bit. But even the flashbacks to Charlie being a shithead, the way that he shoots them are so... There's no surprise. There's no menace. It's just Chris Christopherson kind of being there, um, figuratively twirling his mustache, then saying something offensive, and then doing something offensive, and that's it. 
And that's fine on the page, but when it comes to seeing it, there, there's no there's no real menace. There's no emotional investment in the scene. There's the, I'm thinking specifically of the 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 flashback when he shoots Eladio. Um, the you know um, just without provocation, just shoots him in the front seat of his truck, basically. And it's really just, I, I'm not remembering the sequence specifically, but it's really just we kind of have um, a shot of, like, Eladio getting in the truck, a close-up of Christopherson kind of pulling his gun, and you see the gun, and then he shoots him. And even the sound effect, the gun being, the gun firing even just kind of sounds like a, a standard, like, not even subtle, but a standard just kind of, like, sound effect i'm not conveying that right but there's even in the the sound design there's not a a surprise or an explosion or something with the which is causing you to kind of cringe or or react or kind of jump it just kind of it plays out in a standard sort of way and without that i, I can't even say without the menace but without kind of a, i guess I don't know, there's just something in those in those flashbacks and those scenes with Charlie which are just kind of once again reinforcing or 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 re-raising this question to me how would the discovery of what Buddy did really be that damaging to Sam as a person and to Sam's reputation or to Sam's identity? It's a bit strange to me. Um and um and and but that, but then at the same time, this this earnestness, like I said, there is care and thought given to the exploration of the many different perspectives and the many different demographics which call this little town their home. And this is a good leading a lead into the second thing which I'm I'm taking away from this film and from Sales's film is that egalitarian approach to people and to characters and specifically to characters who are not him. And by that I mean characters who are not white, basically. Yes, we have Sam, who is our kind of surrogate or our entryway into this film. You can say it's Sam or you can say it's Buddy, whatever. And they are white people in positions of authority. But the film gives equal playing time to the other citizenry of the town, to Pilar, Elizabeth Payne's character, to um, uh, Joe Morton and his uh, character as the, um, you know, the army colonel and, and, and kind of seeing what he is, is trying to reconcile with his dad who left him, uh, him and his mother when they were much younger. Um, and it, it spends some time exploring the racial identity of this town and how it was established and how the demographic is changing and even how some people choose choose to look on the history of the town or at least what is important about the history of this town very early on there's a scene in which there's a I, it, it seems like it's a pta meeting of some kind but there's an argument in the school about what the history class is teaching about uh, I, I don't think it's the town specifically but i think it's just texas as a state and just this idea or maybe now that I'm thinking about it, I think it's the story of the Alamo basically um, and you have um, some very clearly labeled one-dimensional white people and I think that's on purpose and I don't have a problem with that who are 
talking about how any perspective on on this story, on history that is not coming from the perspective of the the white victors is problematic. You even have the guy saying like the past he's something to the effect of the past is told by those who win and uh, those who don't like it can, you know, that's their problem basically. And you have Pilar and other teachers who are kind of saying like we are not saying that there are things that are incorrect. We are not trying to change anything about history. We are just trying to say it's more complicated than these textbooks would have you to, to believe, um, which is fascinating both in how it is setting up a inherent conflict within the town, but then also how it foreshadows um, the reveal of the ultimate um, identities and relationships between Sam and Pilar, which is kind of clever, and I, and I, I sort of appreciated that. But um, in in The Brother from Another Planet, in Eight Men Out, and Eight Men Out is, you know, once again, almost entirely, I think, now that I'm thinking back, and I, I, I believe pretty much entirely populated by white people, but then in here in uh, Lone Star, Sales comes at it from the perspective of everyone's story and experience is valid. And I don't say that in the sense of like, hey, those one-dimensional white people, their story is valid. But um, as a a white filmmaker, a white male filmmaker, who once again, when it comes to, well, not once again, but when it comes to the history of filmmaking and film criticism, most of the gatekeepers for most of history, and I guess you could probably say all of history when it comes to film and film art and cinema, um, have been white men. So by having this guy who is telling uh, these multiple stories in which it is coming from perspectives of people who are not like him, but they are valid, just as valid as the stories of the characters who do look a lot like him, is really cool. And this was 1996, which... I guess doesn't seem like that long ago to a few of us, but when you even, I mean, even when I was looking back on, you know, what else were, were nominated for Oscars that year, and specifically what were, um, what were the films that were nominated for Best Picture, um, there really wasn't a whole lot of representation. There weren't a whole lot of films that were trying to tell the stories of people of color, or trying to explore this idea of history and identity and how that has been altered, changed, controlled by certain people. I mean, nominated for Best Picture that year, we, we've discussed. Uh, the English Patient was the, was the one that ultimately won. But then here are the others that were nominated, I should say. Fargo, Secrets and Lies, Jerry Maguire, and Shine. Now, I haven't seen Shine, I've only seen parts of Jerry Maguire, but the rest of those films are all pretty much from the perspective in terms of who wrote them, who directed them, and what stories they follow, are from the perspective of the gatekeepers, um, largely white men. And to have this film in 1996 um, explore these other stories and give equal weight and equal validity and equal importance, which I think is the same thing as saying equal weight, is 
really cool and really something to be admired, um, lauded maybe. And once again, I, I say that as a as a, a, a white guy, but also, I mean, once again, here was a guy, I don't know if you read that interview that I uh, posted on the Facebook page when it came to his uh, sales' interview speaking specifically about the brother from another planet, but... This was a guy who he said he's been to all 50 states. He's spent many nights in all of them. And so this was a guy who has who has seen a lot of the country, who has seen a lot of stories that aren't his and who has been um, kind of enthralled with them and has worked to tell a lot of those stories um, and who takes on screenwriting jobs, uh, script doctoring jobs, writing the screenplay for the Spiderwick Chronicles. Um, to get some money to tell these personal stories that he wants to tell, these stories that are not his story. And that's something that I do really appreciate about um, this film and kind of his approach to filmmaking. It's really cool and also kind of explains why he could never really catch on in the mainstream, especially if he was uh, active in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. Um... We still, as an industry, struggle with um, not just representation, but getting representation out into the mainstream, basically. Um, So here's a guy who the kind of stories he wants to tell are not the kind of stories that studio execs want to tell, are not the kind of stories that marketers would tell you are um, appealing to white males in the 18 to 35 valuable demographic region. and so I, 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 I'm not trying to go off on a, on a, a tirade here, but just Sales' egalitarian approach to other viewpoints and other stories which aren't his, it, it's, it's great. And I really appreciate that from his filmmaking. Um, having said that, I think there was also kind of a missed opportunity in Lone Star to explore specifically the idea of um, white identity a bit more. Um, And specifically when it comes to raising questions about what does, not what does that mean, but yeah, I guess what does, what does that mean? Or, or or what is, what do I think that um, obligates me to, or, or, or what, what, what does that imply basically? Because um, we do have, once again, this opening argument about, uh, who is telling the story of history of this, of this state, of this battle, of, of this motley array of, of people. And we also have a character who is trying to discover the truth about his father that everyone viewed as a saint. And it seems like when it came to, now I I know they're, okay, now I, I know ultimately there is the reveal that, Buddy had a uh, relationship with Pilar's mother, and that means that Sam and Pilar are actually kind of um, half-siblings, and uh, so there is this furthering of this idea of a equality when it comes to the, uh, to races uh, or ethnicities. Um, Also... I shouldn't I shouldn't make this a side note because this was um <laughs> a big reveal in the film. Um I wasn't as 
creeped out by that reveal as I thought it would be. I have to give credit to my wife, who in any form of media um, will be able to guess the ending just by watching the first 20-20% of it. Within the first 30 minutes, she had speculated that um, Sam and Pilar were related. Uh, and then, sure enough, that turned out to be the case. But um, I wasn't as uh, creeped out by that reveal as I, as I thought I would be, especially considering how deep this film delves into this question of um, identity. And, and also looking back on history, reevaluating history. Um, so it, it seemed, I guess, credit to the screenplay and, and to, to, to John Sayles, which is redundant because John Sayles wrote the screenplay, um, that reveal seemed organic and not surprising. Um, so maybe I, I, I'm now complimenting Sayles as a director because he was subtly planting these seeds that ultimately, over the course of two hours and 15 minutes, uh, germ, uh, germained and, and sprouted into something like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense because of the clues I'm I'm going back through and, and reevaluating in my brain right now. But um, I must admit I forgot where I was going with that thought. Oh, right. Uh, so the, there's certainly this idea of of questioning and reevaluating who his father was, but it, it it seems to be that reveal is is more. It's leading us to believe one thing in the reveal is actually, nope, he actually was as saintly as you were initially told he was, which is, okay, fine. What I would have liked to have seen in a film which is set in a town in which there is a lot of racial conflict, in which we are dealing with uh, exploitation of non-Caucasians uh, by a systemically uh, a white-controlled system in, in, in law enforcement, basically. I would like to have seen a bit more that deals with this idea of Sam thinking to himself and looking back through history, reevaluating this idea of like... Uh, Almost as though the a, a a reveal of of something about Buddy's character would shake up or cause him to question an inherent entitlement that he felt as being a white sheriff in the town. And now this film, I, I watched this a few days ago, so maybe those things are there and I've forgotten about it. So by all means, if I am wrong. If I've missed something, if I've forgotten something, or if you just vehemently disagree, I want to hear from that because I, I, I'm always wanting to appreciate a film more. I'm always wanting to understand it more. And my brain is fallible, so I forget stuff. I overlook stuff. I misinterpret stuff. So um, tweet at me, Nolan Fixes Teeth. Email me, you do movies badly at gmail.com, or even just in the comment field. Some of you do that. Just let me know. But it, it seemed like there was. A, potential there to kind of explore and break down specifically. I don't mean explore in the sense of have it validated, but break, but explore, break down, deconstruct this, even, even this idea of an entitlement or a kind of an inherited nobility for, for being the, the 
white sheriff who is the son of a white sheriff who killed another white sheriff. And what does it mean? And is that bullshit to kind of be like this idea of just, you know, do I have inherent value or inherent leadership because I'm a white person? I would have liked to see more of a personal struggle with that from the same character because it seemed like the personal struggle was more um, the relationship with his with his dad and was his dad actually as saintly as everyone believed him to be and yes he was but just so happened to uh uh uh, be kind of a jerk to his son because he didn't want his son sleeping with his half-sister uh but but just that idea of white entitlement white fragility i would have liked to have seen that explored in a little bit more uh a little bit more detail but and that also ties into a, a thing that i was talking about before could you have cut this film down? Could some subplots have been removed? And also characters just kind of being characters and scenes where we are seeing them as characters. I had two reactions to, or, or two main thoughts when it came to reducing runtime. And the first one was, well, you know, that subplot with Joe Morton, uh, the army colonel and his dad, that could have been removed and we really wouldn't have lost much. And then... Almost immediately after, I thought, like, okay, so what you're doing is advocating for removing uh, the subplot involving the two most prominent African-American characters in the film. And I'm like, okay, so (laughs) that's kind of a shitty uh, reaction to have. Um, And I guess you would lose some of those character moments which are not vital to the narrative, but still are revealing when it when it comes to certain thoughts or emotions there is that exchange between Joe Morton and that um that young army woman um that's basically why are you in the army um and her response is and now shit I'm forgetting it but just basically that idea of like um uh she you know she she does it to or or you know her she believes that her job at the army is just to follow orders and how that's so typifying of a demographic which has been oppressed and has been told for so long just follow what we're telling you to do if you just obey you'll be fine that's a revealing thought and it doesn't have a tremendous amount to do with the story or at least when it comes to the story of sam and that central conflict but it's still a valid and interesting insight. So it's a patient film. It's a deliberate film. And it does take its time to just sit with the characters and basically explain to you, the audience, and to these characters, your story is valid. You as a character are valid. And I have to appreciate that at the end of the day. So... Those are my big thoughts on Lone Star. Um, Once again, if I have missed something, if I have misrepresented something, or if I'm wrong about something, or you disagree with me, I always want to hear from you. Once again, you can reach me at youdomoviesbadly at gmail.com. You can can tweet at me at NolanFixesTeeth. Um, or you can chime in in the comments field by going to battleshippretension.com and finding I Do Movies Badly in the podcast drop-down menu, um, and also catch up on back episodes by going to idomoviesbadly.podbean.com.
Com. So since that is the end of the episode and that is the end of the month, this is where I would tell you as to who is my next guest and what is our next theme. The only problem is, as with last month, I don't have something <laughs> confirmed just yet. I've been in communication with a few people. Um, I haven't locked down anything just yet. So please do pay attention to the I Do Movies Badly Facebook page where once I know for sure what is happening, I will let you know. You would think that because I had three or four weeks to lock this down, I would have already. But schedules change, people become busy, uh, emails just sometimes don't get responded to in a timely manner, so uh, wires are crossed and things are mixed up. So as of this recording and publishing, I don't have a theme confirmed yet. But as soon as I have something locked down, I will let you know. So thank you for listening to this episode on Lone Star. Thank you for listening uh, on or to this month on John Sales. Be sure to tune in next week where I'll be talking to someone about something. But one thing that for sure is I will hopefully be just a little bit less ignorant. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 